Hello, and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Joan Michelson to the show. Joan Michelson is an award-winning marketing communications leader, journalist, trainer, speaker, and coach who brings 20-plus years of experience in the media and leading groundbreaking communications and marketing in Fortune 50 companies. She is the host of the acclaimed podcast, Green Connections Radio, which was chosen by USA Today as one of the top six podcasts for business travelers, and she writes on social innovation and careers in Forbes. In addition to Forbes, her work has appeared in HuffPost, TheAtlantic.com, GreenBiz.com, The Washington Post, The New Economy Magazine, CBS 60 Minutes, ABC News, NBC, WTOP-FM, and in various other outlets across the globe. Joan, how are you doing today? I'm great, Raj. I'm so excited to join you today. Thank you for including me. And I love the name of your show, by the way, too. I think it's a great name. Thank you, Joan. I really appreciate that. Joan, where in the world are you? I am in Washington, D.C. area. I'm technically in Alexandria, Virginia, which is a suburb of D.C. And uh, so I am in the nation's capital. And how's the weather out there? It's actually quite nice. It's a bit overcast, but it's warm. It's about 60 degrees. Um, and considering we can't be outside very much at the moment, it's, uh, it's nice out, though. I, I appreciate nice weather. I've lived in all kinds of extreme climates, and so I, I appreciate a nice and for those of you listening, we are recording on April 1st, 2020. I would like to say that we're in the middle of the pandemic, but I'm not quite sure yet. Joan, what's your perspective right now on where we are? Oh, boy. How much time do we have? So We have as long as you need. You're very kind. You're very kind. So there's this is a really, really interesting moment. I mean, it's frightening as hell. And anybody who tells you that they don't have moments of being scared and wondering what's going to happen or worried about their loved ones or um, that is probably lying, frankly. Uh, I salute the healthcare workers. I, I bow to the healthcare workers that they, I, I do every day, but especially now and the police and fire departments who, particularly in New York, are coming down with coronavirus left and right, unfortunately. Um, this is a really interesting moment, though, for society and the globe writ large. And I will be very interested to see what shakes out of this in five years, because there's a few things happening simultaneously that are illustrative to me. One is the global, because this is happening across the globe simultaneously and all the economies of the world are shutting down at once, and because it's a pandemic which literally spreads from person to person unknowingly and we can't see it, it is requiring us to come together as a global community and break down borders, break down barriers, break down boundaries, knock quote-unquote, policies out the window and come together to solve a global problem that is affecting every human on the planet and every live entity on the planet, even the pets are somewhat threatened, animal life is threatened too. Um, 
And that shows, A, that we can come together to solve a global problem. And we really are in this all together. And that also bodes well for solving other global challenges we all face, including climate change, which is a world I spend a lot of time in. So it's actually proving the points that many people in the climate change community and in other communities have been making, which is that we really can come together and solve problems together and get the boundaries out of the way. The other thing it's showing is that the way to do that is to share resources. And what came to mind is, I don't know if you're familiar with Buckminster Fuller, but he had a developed a map called the Dymaxion map. And it was a huge map. It became a game. And it was like, I don't know if anybody has ever played Twister or any game that you lay out on a piece of plastic, like across the floor. It's about the size of a room, this map. And you stand on the map in in each country and you hold symbols that represent the resources of that country. And you see where there's a need across the world. You're stand, I mean, you're literally experiencing it standing on this map. And then you pass the resources to where they're needed. His philosophy was there is enough, we just need to distribute it better. And that's the, the heart and soul of this crisis. There is enough food. There is enough There are enough ventilators. There are enough masks. There are enough gloves for the healthcare workers. Fill in the blank, there is enough. It's just not distributed properly. And this is showing with hospital groups that have never collaborated working together, with states that have never collaborated together, collaborating together, with governments collaborating. I mean, there's a movement now to remove the sanctions on Iran to help those people. There's... Uh, and that's a movement across countries, by the way, not any particular segment. There's So all of these boundaries have to come down, artificial boundaries have to come down so we can help each other. And it's showing how much the global community can really come together. I really appreciate that perspective, Joan. I have heard of Buckminster Fuller, never heard of his game. I'm familiar with the uh, geodesic dome but I will definitely go do some research and find that game. And I love that idea of sharing resources. And I so agree with you, not only in this time, but even in times of the past. You know, I, I've said many times to people in my community that the world doesn't lack resources. There's more than enough to go around. It lacks collaboration and cooperation. Mm-hmm. So totally agree with you. There's one other thing that I want to... I want to pull out in this experience. And that is, and I've written about this in Forbes as well, is that we all know that the markets are tanking, but there's one sector of the markets that has been performing better than most. And if you drill into it, it brings out a few different points. It's the environment sector, environment, social, and governance rated equities, stocks, ESG rated stocks. And those are performing better, and it's really interesting on multiple levels. For one thing, social is caring about your employees, and the companies that are doing better are taking very good care of their employees and their communities in general, all their 
all aspects of their social network, their communities, their employees, their customers, et cetera, even their suppliers. The other component is on the governance side, they've, they are better at crisis planning. So they have had crisis management plans in place for various contingencies, including the environment piece, which is climate change. And so they've had some resilience plans and crisis management plans in place. So they were better prepared for this. They also have more diverse management teams and boards of directors. So there's more women, there's more people of color on their teams, and that breeds more diversity, more new ideas, new solutions. And so those companies are taking a leadership, both showing what leadership is, and we can talk about examples of those if you want, but those companies are taking leadership roles, allowing their brands to have a values-driven messaging at this time and taking actions regardless of their bottom line, whether it's pivoting your plant to make something that we need right now or taking care of your, paying your employees to not work, for example. Um, but they're also um, coming from a, they're, they're also better at planning. And it's really interesting as a model for leadership going forward as well. That's really interesting. I've had that conversation here in the uh, recent past regarding companies that have outperformed in the S&P and how their ESG ratings are much higher than the other companies. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you've been looking into that. Yeah, they're also more, they tend to be more innovative in general because they think out of the box by definition. Absolutely. So We've gone off script a little bit, and I really appreciate doing that, but I want to come back to this question that I usually start with because I feel like you've probably got a great answer for it. So the question is, if you were asked to share something interesting about yourself, what would it be? <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of interesting things about me. Um, well, I'll tell you something that most people don't know. Um, I was a dancer many years ago, and... I danced with the Chuck Davis African Dance Company. That really is interesting. What kind of dance is that? I did modern African and jazz. I took ballet, but I frustrated the heck out of my ballet teachers because I was, I was not rigid enough for them. So how does a dancer end up at Green Connections Radio? <laughs> with a very circuitous route. Um <laughs> The truth is I hurt my back and I, from frankly, probably bad training and uh, bad execution, but um, it was the universe telling me I had other capabilities and I had a business career. Um, I've had a few different careers. I uh, was a dancer. I spent a few years in the hospitality industry, but mostly I've been in management consulting financial services firms. And then about 15 years ago, and journalism, back and forth between corporate America and journalism, really. And then about 15 years ago, I was catapulted into the green economy when I was recruited to head up the communications of the electric car division of Chrysler. And it was a very interesting experience on, on 80 million levels, not the least of which is I didn't even own a car at the time. I'd never worked in the car business. 
I didn't have the words automotive or vehicle anywhere on my resume or bio or background. And, but we did, I'm a creative person and we did a lot of innovative campaigns. And the president of the company, who's the one who personally recruited me, told me that it was exactly because I came in without traditional experience in the auto industry that I was successful because I came in, he said, I had more good ideas from you in 15 minutes than I'd heard from anybody else in years. And we did some pretty crazy things. Did I get to do everything I wanted? No, but we did great things. We did hockey stick growth in the middle of a recession. We helped boost the adoption of electric vehicles big time. And, uh, and it changed my life forever. I've been in the green economy ever since. So just between you and I, no one's listening. Yeah, Who right. killed the electric car? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that movie too. <laughs> so since I brought up green connections, can you share a little bit about your current endeavor? Yes. So thank you for asking. So Green Connections Radio is a podcast where I interview innovative women, uh, women who are leaders and innovators whose work is in or intersects with the green economy that is climate, energy, and sustainability. So I've interviewed about 250 women, and we talk about the process of innovation. We talk about their field, which could be chief sustainability officers of Fortune 500 companies, women who are developing new battery technologies or electric vehicle technologies, women who are heading up um, government agencies or uh, energy, state energy commissions of some kind, um, women who are supporting women entrepreneurs in STEM fields, um, the woman who was the head of ARPA-E, which is the innovation arm of the Department of Energy, for example, the woman who was head of the UN Sustainable Energy for All program, for example, reported directly to the Secretary General of the UN. Um, I've interviewed and people who are women who are artists whose work intersects with this space. I don't know if anybody has seen the documentary, fairly recent documentary called um, Maiden. It's a story of a woman who at age 25 with almost no boating experience, very, very limited boating experience, um, make a long story short, built a all fem- the first all-female crew to do the Whitbread Round the World race, yachting race, which is a 330,000-mile race around the, around the globe going through treacherous, treacherous, life-threatening waters. And none of them had done it before. She had been the cook on one trip. That was about it. And they came, they won two of the six legs and the most dangerous ones, and they came in second in the whole race and were named Yachtsman of the Year. And the documentary is extraordinary because it's Tracy's story. Her name is Tracy Edwards. Um, And they had original footage from the actual trip. So it's the actual footage from the race, two cameras on their boat, interspersed with interviews with Tracy Edwards and her crew. I haven't heard of that. It's called Maiden, you said? Yes. And it's truly extraordinary. And so I saw the documentary. I was blown away by her 
So I sought her out and I interviewed her on my show. And she told me stories that were not in the documentary. So you'll have to listen to that for the stories. I will for sure. And I'll put a link to your show in the show notes. Thank you. I appreciate that. So Joan, the crux of our conversation focuses around the why. You know, you've committed to this space, this green space, sustainable space, and you could be doing a hundred different things, you know, with your circuitous route and your different experiences. Why are you so committed to this space? Well, I'm committed to this intersection of women innovators making a difference in STEM fields, especially as it relates to the climate and, and the, the planet. And the reason I'm so committed to it is multifold. On the women's side, as a woman, obviously, I have firsthand experience and I've been advocating for, for women's advancement for years. Women are a wasted resource. They are not given the opportunity to participate in as a um, as a leader, as an innovator, um, as an equal party, and that hurts the economy as well as families, and it's plain old stupid. Um, women are also natural innovators because be, since we have not had access to resources and power levers, we have had to find another way to solve a problem, and that makes us inherently innovators. A woman I interviewed named Laura Liswood who's the secretary general of the Council of Women World Leaders, talks about it as women have been in the non-dominant role. When you're in the non-dominant role and you don't have access to levers of power, authority, or resources, you have to innovate. You have to find a creative solution. And in the STEM fields in particular, women have been especially ignored and denied opportunities. And it's especially important because climate change and environmental issues affect women on the front line. Women are on the front lines of the impact of that most uh, strongly, whether it's in developing countries or here with families or um, buying things. Women are the purchasers of 80 to 85% of most consumer goods when the stores are open. Um, and so women are really the linchpin. And the, the studies show that if women had economic parity, it would add 5% to the GDP and be worth about $12 trillion. So it, it doesn't make any economic sense. It doesn't make any social sense. And it doesn't make any environmental sense. And frankly, it's just not, it denies the world of the creative solutions as well to not have women have a equal playing field in this economy and um, not and women being more involved and allowing their innovations to take hold would solve a lot of the environmental and social problems that the globe faces right now. So I appreciate you sharing that answer. What are some of the changes you've seen or have you seen any changes in the field of women and innovation since you started your show? Well, yeah, I mean, there are it ebbs and flows. I mean, we went, we had a high of a whole whopping 6% of the Fortune 500 were women, women CEOs, which is pathetic considering women have been in the workforce for decades and decades. Um, now we're back down. Um, I think it's 4%, although Marilyn Houston just stepped down, so it might be lower. Um, the women have taken 
more responsibility for their own careers. Let me actually back it up and say it this way. Women have taken two approaches. There are schools of women who have grown and taken charge and said, I'm mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore, and I'm going to ask for what I want. And then there are women who have said, I've seen the women before me struggle. It looks too hard. I'm going to get my MRS and stay home and not have to deal with all that. And it's really interesting. There are some women who just don't want to deal with it. And there are some women who embrace the challenge and the stress of making it happen for themselves and, and being ambitious. And I really find that it's pretty much in two schools. So if you were to speak to women in general and say, this is an opportunity to get engaged specifically in the green tech, clean tech, sustainable ESG movement, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, you know, it's interesting. And I, I wrote about this in Forbes. I also write for Forbes and other media and do a bunch of public speaking and coaching, by the way, if anybody's looking for a coach. But the the way that I talk to my clients about it and present about it is this, is we are living in a time, and even right now in this pandemic, that presents tremendous opportunities to be the most version of yourself you want to be. And I say most instead of best because people can feel a lot of pressure of what is best and I don't know what best is and yada, yada. But we all have interests and passions. We all have goals. We might not have them all written down, but this is an opportunity. Women have more opportunity now than they've ever had and there's more resources available to help anyone, especially women and people of color, to achieve their goals. And right now in this pandemic, where we all have to stay home, presents a, a particular opportunity because we can tackle some of the long-term projects that we've set aside. We can tackle some of the things we've said, oh, I wish I had time to do. We can clear out some of the clutter from our homes and our minds and our souls, frankly. And we can step back and get some perspective and, and touch base with people that we care about that maybe we haven't talked to in a while, bridge some of those social connections and think about revisit our goals and write them down and think about, you know, this this, we are all looking at the world through a different values-driven prism right now. This pandemic makes people have to look at what is really, really important. And that's an opportunity to think about what is really, really important to you. What do you want to accomplish in your lifespan? And what can you do today, tonight, this week to move at least one of those forward? in a way that makes you feel like you've moved it forward. Thank you for sharing that. You know, out of all the women you've interviewed, and I'm not asking you to pick favorites, but what are some of the, or who are some of the women innovators, specifically in the field of ESG, sustainability, green tech, clean tech, that you've been most excited about? Oh boy. Um, that is like picking your children. So um, I mentioned Tracy. She's phenomenal. Um, 
Maria Frere is also really interesting, and she is in some ways, uh, in many ways, relevant to now. Maria Frere is the CEO of the foundation of the NIH. And she, the foundation of the NIH is not actually part of the NIH. They raise money for the NIH, but they don't only raise money for the NIH. And the reason I mention her is because she created a highly unusual business model that is literally a public-private partnership. And beyond that, they their model is co-optition. They bring together, and it's relevant to right now in terms of both business model and problem and the problems they're trying to solve, i.e., public health, um, where they bring competitors together to solve something that they all have in common they need solved. And then they all go off and use that solution in their own way. And no one owns the intellectual property of that solution. So for example, if, if many pharmaceutical companies are trying to find the solution to coronavirus, but they all need to have the mapping of the lymph nodes, which run your immune system, then um, Maria would bring together all the pharmaceutical companies to pool their resources, pool their funds, pool some of their talent to find the mapping of the lymph nodes, say, and then they would all take that uh, mapping back to their own shops and develop something on their own. And they would each own the IP for whatever they developed on their own, but no one would own the mapping of the lymph nodes because they did that all together. And so I love her creative way of solving problems and of bringing co-optition into the light, which is what we're really seeing now. I mean, we're, as I said earlier, we're seeing a lot of it and we need more of it. Um, I think one other one that's unusual, and I've talked to a lot of corporate people. I mean, there's a billion of them, but um, I'll pull out a, a one other, and that is another fairly recent one, which is Deborah Rudder. She's the president of the Kennedy Center of the Performing Arts, which unfortunately is closed right now um, because of the pandemic. But I bring her up because she they just built a new facility that um, is all, it's a LEED gold certified building for creative people. But we talked about how do you manage creative people? You know, it's one thing to say we want to be creative, we want to be innovative, um, but what does that mean and how do you operationalize that? How do you how do you make something out of that that's usable? And that's what both of these two women do in different contexts. Uh, Deborah has been managing creative organizations her whole career, and she has found a way to bring out the best in creative people with a social purpose. All of their, a lot of their work has, is intertwined with social purposes. Um, and so I think both, uh, I think all three of them, Maria Frere, Deborah Rutter, and Tracy Edwards are completely different versions. I mean, there's also women like Esther Takeuchi, who um, is in the Inventors Hall of Fame for having developed the battery that powers the pacemaker, by the way. Um, and she is now working on a new type of battery for electric vehicles uh, with a completely different chemistry. So there are, there are lots of those as well, and people, women who are working on climate resilience, helping communities around the globe become more resilient, including some though, that have won the MacArthur Genius Award. So 
they, my some 250 some odd guests on my show come from all different walks of life and they each make you think about something in a different way. Thank you so much. And I will again, put a link in the show notes for your show for those that are interested to learn more about the women that you mentioned. And you already shared some advice earlier, but I'm going to press you for a little bit more. If you could share some words of advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? Um, It would be own your space. Embrace who you are. Allow yourself to fully express who you are. I mean, we all have something we think we do well. Um, We all have goals and dreams. Um, Many women in particular get nervous when given a microphone or put on a stage or having a light shown on them and they cower, but own the space, be who you are, embrace your imperfections, embrace, you know, make humility is a good thing. Humor is a very good thing. Laughing at yourself. I do it constantly. It's an important coping skill. Um, so I would just say, Embrace who you are and use the resources that are available to you today that have never been quite so available. I mean, there's there's coaches like me, there's resources from the, the government, from the SBA, from your companies now have employee resource groups that are affinity groups. There's women's networking groups, and we could talk about that sometime. I mean, there are all kinds of resources for people to be the 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 most full version of who they want to be. So I would say embrace that and don't be afraid to embrace it because there's you, you don't have to hold yourself back. So Joan, you know, as a fellow interviewer, it's our job to push a little bit deeper. So I'm going to ask the question for those that are listening. Joan, I want to own my space. Can you tell me maybe one or two tactical things I can do to own my space? Yes, I can. One is look at your posture, um, listen to your tone of voice, listen to yourself speak, and notice verbal tics. I've been told I say I love that a lot, for example, on my podcast. Um, I tend to say in particular a lot. I mean, there's different verbal things that we do. If you say like in every sentence, delete it. Um, be very self-aware. and stand up straight. And if somebody calls on you, just breathe and say what you need to say and know that you deserve to have the light on you. The other thing I'll say is I want to go back to this point about goals. We all have goals. Don't be afraid to have goals. There are a lot of people who say, who put up barriers and say, well, you know, it's never going to happen. So what's the point of my even thinking about it? I'll just get myself disappointed. No. If you want to write a book, Sit down and write a book. Start with the blog. Write a paragraph. You have the time now. You have no excuse. You can write for free on LinkedIn. You can write for free on Medium. Even if nobody but your mother or your best friend or your spouse or partner reads it, that's fine. You have something to say. You have something to share. Your opinion matters. No matter how many years of experience you do or don't have, no matter how much education you do or don't have, no matter what country you're from or language you speak, you have value and you deserve to own the space that you have been given by being born on this planet right now. 
Well, Joan, as the father of three young daughters, I appreciate all you're doing to spotlight, encourage, and empower women. This has been a fantastic conversation. Is there anything that we have not explored that you would like to talk to or share before we go? Um, I think I just want to encourage everybody right now to be kind to yourself and others. This is a very, very stressful moment for every single person on the planet. Um, and we need to be even more patient and even more compassionate with each other, even though you're walking six feet away from somebody as you pass them on the sidewalk, smile, wave, say hi, be kind to the person who checks you out at the supermarket. Um, when we get back in to the swing of things and, and we can get back on the metro or back into our offices, ask people how they are. I mean, really, I think we need to capture this moment of kindness and compassion and empathy in working together for a common good. Joan, thank you so much. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Perfect. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And I appreciate all you're doing and all your community is doing to make the world a better place. Thank you for listening. And if you like what you heard, please give us a rating and review at Apple Podcast. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production. And if you want to show your support and help us grow, please share with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle.